This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Melodic death metalers Cataclysm are set to unleash their new studio album, Meditations, on June 1st, 2018, through Nuclear Blast Records. Featuring the singles Narcissist and Guillotine. Get exclusive vinyl colors, black cassette, and t-shirt bundle at NuclearBlast.com. Also, Cataclysm will be playing four exclusive U.S. dates in June. Attendees of the shows will receive a copy of Meditations, plus a bonus DVD with their ticket. Visit cataclysm.ca for details. Drinking unwanted piss? Need a check? Here at the law offices of Pedro and Pedro, we specialize in urine-based lawsuits. Unwanted piss is not wanted and can lead to a huge settlement. I drank piss at a party thinking it was beer. After I told Pedro and Pedro, I got a check for $400,000. Pedro and Pedro! Drinking piss sometimes is money bliss. 20 years ago, Marilyn Manson peed on the catering at a corn concert. I ate a soft taco and a cold sore popped up within minutes. Marilyn Manson pee? Give you HPV? Give us a call. Pedro and Pedro! Dog piss? Cat pee? You drink it without prior knowledge? Call us today. If you drink it, I'll bank it. Pedro and Pedro! I used to piss on their catering. Pedro and Pedro, don't let people piss on your food or your dreams. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello, everyone. It is I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by Brandon Gooch Hahn. Hello. How's your mom? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. And via Springfield, Missouri on Skype, we are Jocelyn Sharp. Hello, how's your dad? You can find me at Jocelyn Sharp on Twitter and Instagram. And all you sisters out there can find me at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Rise to Offend official on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. You guys put me in a sister situation. Of course we did. So uh, this week, guys, we have uh, got an interview with one of our other favorite podcasts on the Jabberjaw Network, the X-Man Podcast, and his new band, Bad Wolves, which is touring right now, where it's talking to none other than doc coil we're talking about the new record disobey which is out now the debut record from bad wolves if you guys haven't picked up a copy yet and we talk a lot of basketball because the playoffs are upon us mm. or the finals are going to be upon us very soon so anyways before that guys we're going to jump into some quick metal sucks news stories that we love to talk about if you guys didn't hear our, our little bit at the beginning there the first story we would love to talk about Marilyn manson you know always good fodder for the show Marilyn right. Manson, always. Uh, this week in a promotional video, and you can see he really doesn't give a shit to promote things, but somehow it works out for him. In a promotional video, he claimed that he urinated on Corn's catering. Do you believe that Marilyn Manson urinated on Corn's yes. catering 20 years ago? Yes. yes. Jocelyn, what about you? I don't know. Hmm, okay. I don't know. Let's go with Brennan's yes first. Go ahead. Why do you feel this is truth? Because he needs attention. Game over. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's like he's the type of guy where it's just kind of like, oh, this is fucked up. Hey, watch me do something fucked up. And then the legend continues. It's like he's just one of these guys that believes his own bullshit. But peeing on someone's catering, does that really make the legend continue? Well, especially when you're that high on drugs. I mean, it's like, especially 20 years ago, that guy was high on everything that was underneath your sink. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you think that's changed? I think it's changed. Well, I think, I think, <laughs> I think the drugs have gotten more expensive as he's, as he's gotten older. But I just think that back in those days, he was doing 
whatever the fuck he wanted to do, you know? Yeah. And Jason, let's, let's hear your take on this. So you think, nah, you think he's full of shit here? Just kind of selling things, talking shit? Yeah. I feel like it's, I mean, everything with him has been a publicity stunt, which is not genuine. So I feel like, I mean, if you were to piss on my food, I would smell it. I would smell your piss. Marilyn Manson's piss is probably not clear. I'm just saying. But have you ever had catering backstage? It's not that great. You know, it's not that great. But- I have. Okay. Well, there you go. Take that, Brandon. Oh, boom. She has. Damn it. Yeah. So you think you can notice if someone peed on it? It yeah. depends what the catering is. Really. Like- had like raising Cane's catering. I'm talking about like <laughs> fucking really shitty catering. You know, like here's a, here's a piece of turkey and some bread and some urine. Total yeah. difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's the spread in a lot of clubs across the country. And you would notice if the crackers were wet. Oh, I, I agree with the cracker thing. I'm thinking in my mind, it's got to be some sort of like cut up turkey or something like that with some sauce on it. You can you can it's got to be a food it's, you can yeah, be on. It's got to it be, like, be sandwiches. Yeah, it's got to be like clam chowder or something like that. Like it's got to be something. Smell liquid. it. See, I that's, think you that's would smell the, it. That's that's not a. I mean, it's very possible you could smell it. I but if he did a quick whiz over everything, I mean, it's not the, the aroma is not going to. be. I'm going to tell you this. In order, I to can't smell believe it, we're debating this right. Well, now. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> in order for you to smell it, it's got to be like you got to have had to have had a healthy diet of asparagus and dehydration, and that's when the pee smells the most. And something tells me and. So in Marilyn Manson's case, I mean, the guy's always so uh, dehydrated anyway. I'm sure the pee probably would have smelled. But just in case, maybe he drank like a whole gallon of water before he did it. And now the scent has been taken care of. So I'm actually going to lean more on Jocelyn's side here. I do think Marilyn Manson just makes shit up now or doesn't remember stuff because he has partied so intensely and hard, you know, through the years. Now, obviously, the guys in Corns are adults now. They're, they've got families and all those things. But if someone peed on your food and you ate it as a prank, does that give you the right to, like, just walk up and punch them in yes, the face? It you, yes, it you does. Yes, it does. You agree with that, Jocelyn? Decades. Yeah, yeah 100%. We're if talking. this happened for real, Marilyn Manson should be have his hands tied behind his back and everyone in Corns should be able to just drop elbows on his face. And you know what else I don't wow, like? Wow, that was a, that was a very professional yeah, exactly. wrestling of you dropping yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> people's elbows yes. off the top rope and uh, yep. do a swanton bomb on his face. No, I... Uh, True. So as we did mention, it was like a promotional video for the upcoming tour with Rob Zombie. And Rob Zombie sitting right next to him when, when you know, Manson's just like, uh, yeah, I, I used to piss in their catering. And you can see Rob Zombie right there just kind of react and just say, well, you got to do what you got to do. Now... You can tell that Rob is in political, like, mode of, yeah. like, we're buddies. He's like, man, I got to work with these guys. Yeah, but you can also tell that, like, his response to what, what he said was like, fuck. Like, Rob Zombie and Corn toured last year, last yeah. summer, right? They did the tour. So when you hear that, you know, tour mates, someone peed on their catering. It's like two coworkers fighting and you're caught in the middle. Yeah, and you're getting videotaped, your reaction. How, how, what is the proper reaction? Uh, what the reaction. fuck are you doing? Yeah, for real. My, my reaction would be like, you better not fucking touch my catering. Oh, no shit. <laughs> right? Exactly. I am putting a three-lock box over all of my sandwiches from now on. Like, oh, yeah. Man. Every bit of food I have is going into a safe. So let's just, but also let's just break this down. So with Manson real quick before we move on to the next story. I mean, is he doing everything to possibly sabotage his career at this point, you guys think? Because, I mean, the game's got to be getting, like, old for fans that used to Dude, like him and all that stuff. For him. Is he just, for? I know, he just gets a pass for everything because he was so amazing back in the 90s. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, we brought this up before. Like, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, he was one of the best performers I've ever seen in my entire life. Now, when you watch him on stage, he clearly 
doesn't give a fuck about the audience. There is no engaging the audience. There is no, you know, there is that, that godlike figure that we used to see towards the end of the 90s is gone now. Now it's just some bloated, drunk, drugged out idiot. You know what I mean? It's sad to see. Well, and the the thing about him in the 90s is that all of his shock value was genuine. It was ge- him challenging things that were genuine to him. Him doing shit like taking out a fake AK on stage and pointing it at the audience. That's just what? Why why would you do that? You He's an artist, Jocelyn. Yeah, he did it's that. Not recently. Art. Yeah, he did that. He did that <laughs> it's not not fast. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um no, I mean and you have to question like his motives or is it just all like you know, like you mentioned maybe he's just a hardcore alcoholic maybe he's got hardcore I issues got- at this point that that doesn't matter because when you're a rock star you can get away i don't know if you can get away with it but, well i mean you i think when you start off so extreme can. like he did you know. and then the older you get all of a sudden you you be, dude he is male madonna that's exactly what he is like he did all this shock value shit back in the day and now he's like you know approaching 50 something years old and he's trying to do whatever the fuck he can to stay relevant hmm. you know what i mean and yeah. it's the same it's, ex- it's exactly the same thing with madonna oh let me toast please pose a picture on Instagram with my tits out. Whoa, you're still you still soon. got it, Madonna. It's like, dude, come on. Pretty soon he'll be making out with Drake too. I hope so, I'm guys. Yeah. So hopefully, and, and there is a third part to this whole thing. It's he, he still has a moment, a comeback moment where he completely fails. So he can he can always do that. He still has that moment where he's like, I'm sober now and I can be the best, and his fans will come back to him. Nah, it's a wrap. You think he's, it's a wrap he's grasping at straws? He's, he's grasping yeah. at straws right, right now. Yeah. It's a wrap. Moving on to the next story, guy. Ghost is Tobias Forge. Uh, he you know he recently sat down and he mentioned something about the lawsuit that uh, you know Ghost did. Uh, pretty much put against him last year and he stated that what happened needed to happen and that he um here's a little quote from him all things considered a year down the line haven't been through so much turmoil i've come to realize that what happened needed to happen also i'm a big fan of rock of rock history and i've read every classic rock biography of every band i'm a fan of you know what the same shit takes place in every single one a friend of mine a very successful songwriter said to me you're not really in the game until you've been sued so welcome in i think he's got a point i've been in lots of situations in my life where i've managed to turn pain into growing pains really what happened was a receipt that things are going well it's fine i'll be over brandon what do you think about that well basically i can't wait until the metal sucks podcast starts suing one another uh that's how you know we're gonna make it you know um (laughs) make any sense yeah it's whatever look no i just look i just think what happens is is here's you have you have a couple of guys they they actually all had their parts and their responsibilities in writing music and making good music uh popular music and when these things start going haywire it's like everybody's like yeah well i i put my two cents in here i put my part in there and everybody just wants to get theirs and especially when you're dealing with artists especially like one like tobias where it's like you know this guy He's, he's he's like a you know like a David Bowie type character where he's constantly trying to recreate himself or whatever. I'm sure that shit gets tiring, especially to work with. That's why he went and fired all of his whole band so he could get all this creative control. And when you have one person that wants all that all that control over the music, you are going to have those types of fights. But as far as saying it happens to every band, it doesn't happen with every band. No, you know? and, and no. Yeah, that's where I disagree. Josh, go ahead. I just feel. I mean, I feel like it's an excuse for i mean everyone says like you know we all know you get famous and there's the joke that you know you all of a sudden cousins start coming out of the woodwork yeah that happens i get that but within the creation and within the group that created the thing you're working on it, it just feels very it's another one of those things where i'm like just have a little bit of class have a little bit of respect for yourself and don't make it about that like i don't think that it needs to go that route 
No, I agree. And I, I do think like when you think of the hard rock bands, like Guns N' Roses was one that sued. Oh, they all sued each other. But again, what happened? Axel wanted all the control. That's what I'm saying. Um, but with Ghost, obviously, these these guys were behind masks. It's just a different scenario. But they also helped write those songs. Though. Oh, no, no. I mean, they, they put in they, they put I, in their parts. I don't. Here's the thing. Like in situations like this, it's hard to say unless you're in the situation. If Tobias Forge came up with the concept of Ghost and Ghost's popularity to me is not song based. It's image-based. It's what you can sell from a marketing standpoint as far as okay. all their images and stuff like that. If that's that, that creation is Tobias Forges, then, I yeah, give them 70% of that cut. Now, all, any songs behind it, the whole image of Ghost um, would work. You know, It's just a very creative kind of thing. Now, as far as the music goes, it's good as well. So the guys totally deserve what they deserve I, I always think everything should be like 50 50 but you know what in cases like this you don't know who's doing what or in any band case you don't know who's doing what there's somebody in a band that's a mastermind that's doing everything that's doing the promotion that's doing the marketing when this band's going up and then everybody else is just kind of going to be the sidekick if that's the case in ghosts we don't know but I- it's, it's it's hard to determine what percentage of of work you did and what percentage of profit that gains you Exactly. Where something like Axel Rose, where something like Guns N' Roses, like I think that's a different beast altogether. You know, I think that was just more or less greed. You know, um, agreed. Where, I mean, Ghost might be greed. This is I might be talking completely out of my ass. I just feel like the gimmick of that band is why that band is where it's at. That gimmick, that live show, everything from that universe that was created. If that was Tobias Forge's idea, you know, and he's the one that kind of masterminded all that. I give him full credit, you know? I think that's why Clown gets a lot of credit for being, like, a leader of Slipknot, because he's behind all that stuff. That well, he's, like, worked. one of the only original members now. I mean, well, I just, I think it's him. That's just it. No, well, the point is that, like, behind the artistry of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's not, a, he's not a, a big musical presence of the band. Obviously, he plays just the drum. I mean, he doesn't even play the drums. He, he plays, plays the whatever. metal drum. The, 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 yeah, but the point is, is that... The gimmick that worked for Slipknot mm-hmm. is a huge part of why Slipknot became successful. Absolutely. Obviously, you know, Corey Taylor's got one of the best voices in the game, and there's a lot of other factors, and I'm not taking that away, but that image is really that's the thing with, with, with that idea for any band when it works, you got to give a lot of credit to people for that, you know? And so that's, that's my take on that. Now, however, like if a band sues each other, I do lose interest. I was a huge, huge fan of fear factory. And when they fell apart that first time with Dino versus Christian versus all those guys, I walked away. I was like, I don't even want to pay attention to this nonsense anymore, you know? And then I, I checked back in years later, you know, but when a band does sue each other over, a bunch of things like this, it, it does turn me off. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, I haven't been paying attention to Ghost, even though the rest of the world has. It, it's, I stepped away from it because I, I feel the magic's gone when it's a, a manufactured product in a way. Well, especially when everybody outside of Tobias is wearing a mask. I mean, it's like when the other guys aren't there, you don't notice. And, and, and let's yeah. be honest, and yeah. it's like, and let's be honest, whenever there is a guitar player that is replaced, I mean, during, especially when it's a live recording, you can't really tell unless you're listening intently and you can't really listen as intently at a live show as you would if you were alone with headphones see i go ahead there's this there's this thing that to think about in that bands like ghost you're creating this imaginary world you're taking us out of reality you're creating this fantasy well it's hard to like take that seriously anymore really buy into it the minute you go into a courtroom it's like it'd be like if minnie and mickey mouse got a a divorce and like what like it's not fun anymore she was a cheating whore oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he walked in and it was Minnie and Goofy. Oh, I didn't bitch, see that you know? coming. 
I didn't see that coming. So, but I do disagree with you. Just to, to go back to Brandon's comment about the guitar sound, I, I completely look at Marilyn Manson, who we we're just talking about. The Daisy Berkowitz records sound like Daisy Berkowitz. The John Five records sound like John Five. We're talking about records, not a live performance. No. Okay, I. But that's what I'm saying is like the sounds are completely different on every record. Marilyn Manson takes full credit, probably for all that. The image, the gimmick, all that stuff was probably Marilyn's idea, which is why he got super popular. It's not just the songs. Don't get me wrong, um, but I think a lot of that has to come into a f- play when money comes in, man. People are buying T-shirts because of the images. Absolutely. People are, are, are going to the concerts and painting their faces because of what you're selling marketing-wise. Mm-hmm. And whoever the mastermind behind that, it's hard to see what their percentage is for bands like Ghost, Manson, Slipknot, stuff like that. If you're just a dude in a T-shirt, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to well, say. Well, I mean, you're, if you're a hired gun, if you're just a guitar player that's just hired... You know, all right, hey, look, the the whole band is going to be centered around me, centered around the main guy. But if you're just a guitar player in that band, you're, you're no more than a hired gun at that point. Yeah. You know, so it's almost I'm not saying you got to know your place. But what I am saying is like kind of understand what you're getting yourself into. That Well, it's completely different also. If the band is popular and then you're hired, like you're saying, a hired gun. Yeah. But we're talking about from the obviously the guys in the ghosts were before the band hit that right. rise. You know what I'm saying? But if it's like, hey, we're ghost, I'm going to hire Brandon to be my bassist. At this point, bro, you take what you can get. Oh, that's a shitty band. You know? That's <laughs> Whoa. You can't play the four strings and, and ghost? Bro, I'll teach you. You'll be okay. All right. So, last story, guys, before we get to our interview with Doc Coyle, man, I just want to touch real quick on this because I don't know if we discussed it. Uh, one of my favorite records of the year is definitely the Between the Barrier to Me record record automata one i'm a huge fan of how they broke that record up put the first 35 minutes on uh one cd and obviously the second record is coming out in july how long are each one they're both about 35 minutes um the automata two is coming out july 13th guys um right before they hit the summer slaughter tour how do you guys feel about when they split up a record that can fit into one and and release it twice in a year well i mean how many records are over an hour though not too many yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, I mean, yeah. so it's like if you're if you're taking like both or both records are like 35 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, it's a I don't know. It's not I mean, it's not like crazy long. I mean, it's 70 minutes, but I mean, usually usually every record has about 45 minutes of, of music on it. No, I, I mean, we, we talk a lot about how the consumption of music changes. Right. And then and the record industry is suffering because the way consumption of music changes. And there's something to be said for a band trying to reinvent the way that they release their music. I mean, if what you're doing isn't working, try something else. And this might be, you know, the way that people need to do it. Release it the way it makes sense to you and that album and that project. It gives the songs, I think, a little more um, time to breathe for a band, like like Between the Bear to Me, because so much goes on in their songs. You know, How many so tracks much. are on each, on each song? Uh, it's like I mean, five. Each album. The first one was six, but one was like an instrumental. I think the second one's five with an instrumental. I think there is so. something to be said about listening to a whole record with six songs. You, there's something about, I don't know, I just pay a lot more attention. I, 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 yeah, I play better attention to when there's less less songs on on a record as opposed to twelve or thirteen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm more likely to sit down and listen to the whole thing than I am to listen to the first few. And then you know, I have a few albums where I've listened to the first three tracks, and that's all I've ever listened to because that's all I got through because they were like seven minute songs. But if it's a whole thirty five minute album, I'm more likely to listen to the whole thing. And like like Brandon said, it's like you can really pay attention and absorb it in a way that you can if there's fifteen songs on it. Yeah. Yeah, 
I always split up a 70 minute record like all their previous records are all like 70 plus I would always go six songs in and then revisit the second half later that was always kind of a way for me to do that because I would get lost in the middle because just because the way life is it's not like I used to be when I was a kid and I can actually listen to 75 minutes like a typo record and I can just sit down and be like boom like Metallica broke up hardwired it it was what 80 minutes you know they broke it up in two sections I appreciated that I appreciated when Iron Maiden did it for the Book of Souls um, because I did I just lived with one side for a while so I really like the fact that they did this the only thing I would have done differently is I would have released it as a double album and just split it up like that because then I can have each disc Um, I would have peed in their catering mm. (laughs) (laughs) and on that note I know Brandon's not listening that means some of you guys out there might not be listening either so let's uh, (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) so guys uh, real quick this May Swedish Death Metalers Leak will release their new album Carnage via Metal Blade Records it is out right now if you guys haven't picked it up make sure you do it's featuring members of Catatone Bloodbath and Witchery. Carnage delivers more of what fans received on their 2015 debut. Mass Funeral Evocation. It's an album where you can expect everything from slow and bone-crushing songs to fast and furious riffs. Purchase Carnage now at MetalBlade.com slash leak. Once again, MetalBlade.com slash L-I-K. And guys, let's jump right into X-Man Podcast, Bad Wolves Guitarist, me and Doc Coyle. Let's go. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter, Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I got Doc Coyle. From Bad Wolves and the X Men podcast, brethren of the Jabberjaw Network, we are both on. And um, dude, you're yes, cur- you're currently on tour, man. Like for I checked your dates. You guys are touring till September 9th. That's a straight shot. And and you've been on tour for how long as of right now? About a month. About a month. Now you guys you guys are all veterans of this game. But when's the last time you toured this intensely? Really, since the the last Gotham Bid record, Equilibrium, um, we did about seven, eight months on that run in 2012. And then right after I quit Gotham Bid, I actually went on tour with On Earth. And I was supposed to be a little more extensive, but then we were were out with Sepultura, and then the tour got canceled because of their visas. Then I went on tour with this band, Nate Hall. We opened for Queensryche in 2015. And then I toured with Darkest Hour last year, filling in on guitar for Lone Star. So, I've, you know, I've done touring, but not nothing extensive like this for a long time. And, dude, it's, it's exciting because Bad Wolves right now, if, if, if people don't have it already, Disobey is out now. So make sure you pick up your copy. But it, uh, you guys are on a strong trajectory right now. It, but it is like a because you're talking about God Forbid, you're talking about, you know, playing with Darkest Hour. It's, it's more of a hard rock universe, though, when it, when it comes to the Bad Wolves stuff. How different is that? than the metal side as far as touring and fans and all that stuff. Is it exactly the same or is it, it different? It, it couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, me and the singer Tommy, after the single took off the, the zombie cover, we went and did press tours in, in the UK, Germany, Ireland, Canada, did, did two days in New York. And we're doing, we're talking mainstream press playing acoustic guitar on the radio, playing on television, uh, entertainment tonight in Canada. Uh, like I said, literally, if we're doing morning shows where they're like doing a cooking segment, and it's, let's go over to the, the guys in Bad Wolves, they're going to play their song, Zombie, acoustically. Uh, so it's, it's much more, I almost feel more like a politician, almost, because you have to be on, you have to be camera ready to a certain degree. There's, you know, you have to be careful what you say. You can't, you know, um, you know. Unfortunately, you know, we're not like Guns N' Roses in 1989, where we're 
showing up to these places drunk and we don't care. It's like we care and we want to do a good job and we want we understand we have this opportunity just not afforded to new bands and rarely afforded to metal bands. So, um, and given our ages, we know that, you know, we don't, we're not going to get another chance like this maybe ever. So it's like, if we don't hit it out of the park now, or if we do hit it out of the park now, it could set us up for uh, a, a long, great career. I love the story, man. I love it. So I just, the same, it's such a similar story too, like five finger death punch. And one thing with, with, with hard rock though, um, when, whenever I have conversations with people and they're telling me, no, you got to check out this shine down record. You got to check out like that kind of sub genre, you know, of like the Breaking Benjamins, all these bands you, you'll be touring with here uh, this summer, um, is that they're like they're more like fan favorite bands, and metal is more like critically acclaimed bands, right? Uh, like where the critics are like, you have mm-hmm. to hear this, you have to hear this. But I always combat that with like, there's always bands that are both, but that's a hard thing to do because the critics want you to listen to something else, but the fans kind of want to listen to one other thing. So it's a weird um, kind of divide that you do or that you have to do in an industry. Do you agree with that at all or no? So I, so, you know, if you don't know this, I, I used to write at VH1. Mm. I did for a year. I was a modern, modern metal columnist and a theme kind of ran throughout my writing was writing about the culture of heavy metal. And one thing I just started, I began to notice was this divide between the quote unquote real metal world or the, um, underground metal world. I don't know what, what terminology to use. And this mainstream heavy music world where these bands, so these bands on the radio and like, for example, if you were to look just on the internet, you would think Nickelback is the least successful band in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Based on like, there's literally, you cannot find one charitable review, comment, almost nothing. And yet they play and 10,000 people show up and they put out a record and it sells million records or hundreds of thousands of records. So to me, whether you like them or not, I think is irrelevant. What it, what it describes, though, is this, this kind of dichotomy between the, this, you know, what people like. When we say people, that doesn't mean all people. It just means there's enough people that can support a band or a musical endeavor to a really massive scale. And yet there can be this, it can be completely incongruent to how the perception is, right? So then it says, well, so what really matters? And I think when it comes to, the underground metal world, the more I'm more used to is that a lot of the music, musicians in that realm would prefer to have the, the cool factor or to have the, um, the, the feel of approval from their peers or for the kind of the people that consider things to be cool rather than have a really successful audience, you know, or having, you know, and there's, and there's a distance between that and it's, it's tough. You know, it's not easy to, you know, obviously look at Metallica, right? Everyone loves Metallica. They're the biggest man, but probably just as many people talk shit about Metallica as people like them, but ultimately they're still the biggest band. So I think it kind of comes with the territory, you know, and I just wish my, one of my main themes was we should support each other. Like I wrote an article about a, a headline metal sucks did and, and metal injection did where they framed a five year death punch and bring the horizon record charting over an Iron Maiden and Slayer record as a bad thing. I thought that was negative. I, I debated um, uh, Axel on the show. Why are we tearing each other down? Like, I get it. Like, you don't have to like everything, but you can at least be supportive of the fact that heavy bands still are having an impact. Like, I even saw a dude made a negative post that Ghost is playing arenas. Like, this band sucks. I'm like, so, but it's a heavy metal band playing arenas. 
that's cool for everybody. That's good. I don't know. I, and I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Like, and, and, and do you feel that way? Do you see that in other genres when you were writing for VH1? Or do you think metal's kind of more or less got that um, unfortunate disdain? Well, well I think, well, one, I, I don't want to overspeak my, my, um, my knowledge because I'm not an, ex- I'm not an expert in country music or, or hip hop. So I can't really speak to those cultures specifically, but I can say with a, at least regard to the hip hop, everyone knows they're in the business to get big. Right. That's like, they literally gloat about being rich before they even have a record out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's a, it, the, the culture of it is about, is being aspirational and now kind of lost that. And so you have a band like Five Finger Death Punch, no matter what you think about them, they've created an aspirational version of that. Like back in the day, you see Motley Crue and they're on a boat and there's a ton of strippers around and they're, you know, they're on a private plane and it's it kind of, they're playing this big stadium and it created, listen, even that, clearly that's a, there's a shallow way to kind of understand that. But it's this kind of thing of when people picked up a guitar back in the 80s, they wanted to be Ozzy and they wanted to be, Van Halen. And now I think people kind of take a big guitar and they kind of just want to be maybe the guy who's shredding on YouTube, you know? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's no, this is cool, this is better, but, it, but uh, eventually it kind of changes the aspirational factor. I think that goes with why people start bands or, or want to be in a band. It's, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of the, the shine off the rock and roll fantasy is maybe kind of that, you know, we've, we've all watched enough each one behind the music to, to not to understand that it's all kind of bullshit but i don't know you know i haven't totally put a pin but i think it is very unique to metal where we do not necessarily support the bands that are moving forward and that changed and i don't think it used to be that way no i agree with you i i do feel like but like when we were growing up then you have that understanding where it's like you can listen to slayer and allison chains and totally think they're both critically and fan and, and amazing right at the same time, yeah. you can you can go back to back and be like, no, it's all rock, it's all this. You know, I can go grab a Pennywise record right after Slayer and be like, no, this is all the same. I'm getting the same energy, you know, feelings, all that stuff. You know what? I'm gonna mellow down. Let's throw a Black Crow's record on there. It seems like yeah. that's been changed. You know, just like I said, that's that's just me speaking from someone that likes you know guitars, riffs, you know, and the band sound in general. You know, but and but now it is like a an internet competition to say who's cool opposed to just being successful. Cause we need another rock band that's going to hit that arena. And ghost is that band. Like, I think a lot of people are saying yeah. it, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, no, we need another Metallica, right? We need another ACDC well, maiden. I think the problem with it is that in a way achieving a certain level of success is actually a validation of how credible you are. And I think that's a bad equation. Right? That, so let's say you had, like, let's think of a band who's so periphery, right? Mm-hmm. I think their last record was, like, voted the number one record by the fans on the, uh, uh, on Metal Sucks, right? Um, so they're a band that does pretty well, but seem to have a lot of credibility. Um, but what if their next record went platinum and they, and they, were, they, were, and they were playing arenas as a headliner? Would that, would people jump ship? And they say, well, now they're too big, and now all these regular people like them, so I don't like them. Or would people generally be supportive? I, I don't know. You know, you know, I think it's you know, maybe a little bit of, of, of a chicken and the egg. But, you know, if anything, I just try and push po- positivity um, and support 
you know, underground bands, support bands I like. So I'm about, you know, not, like I said, I don't have to like a band to necessarily um, be at least happy that people are having success. So that, that thing, I just think that stream of, of, of negativity, which I think, you know what, it's pervasive across the internet. Whether you're talking sports, whether you're talking politics, people kind of like to bitch and yell and get their frustration out in this format because we're still learning how to actually navigate these platforms, I think, as a as, a, as humanity. I, I completely agree. Actually, uh, I did mention this in the in the previous episode of like uh, how I think our generation was like, you got to work hard, you got to, you know, all the, this just kind of like a very tough generation. The next generation, people unfortunately are labeling snowflakes. So the generation after us with the internet is going to get it right. That's, that's my positive message. So I think like 15 years away <laughs> from getting a bunch of kids to be like, no, we don't need Facebook just because, uh, you know, because that's the thing about this newer generation from where I grew up, it's like all I see is the death of the individual. All I see is everybody conforming but not wanting to, kind of forcing themselves to because they want to fit in. And that's something that I didn't feel growing up. So it's so hard to relate, you know, to not wanting to be an individual in a way. Um, but then on the flip side of that, you know, if I was bullied at school, I can go home and relax and nobody's going to bother me. That can't happen these days because you're going to get bullied on Facebook too, right? So it's, it's, it's a very... It's just a generational thing, but it's just the generations are truly different now, much more so than I would say like us to like 10 years prior. Is that, is that fair, you think? Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's very difficult to kind of understand what things are going to look like in 10 years or 20 years. There was this book I read, I forget the name of it. Um, I read this when I was you know, pretty, pretty young, but it was, a, what it was talking about was that in a Things are changing, but the rate of change is happening quicker. So it's, it's actually, I think, people like me and you and our age who were at this kind of golden period where we're old enough to remember before the Internet and then we're, we're young enough to have been able to adapt uh, to the Internet, to be comfortable with it, where things change so rapidly, it actually creates a sense of... Uh, disorientation mm -hmm. and anxiety, right? Because previously you could kind of, the, the things change, but at a rate where you could kind of see it coming and adjust. And it's, this, this, this stuff moves quick. It's like, you could, oh, it's like, hey man, Snapchat's a new thing. And then a year later, Snapchat's gone and it'll be the next thing. Or I mean, obviously Snapchat's still there, but maybe that was fine or something. And mm -hmm. now that's a culture and that's disappeared. Now it's, on this other thing, and who knows how, how people are going to integrate with this stuff, whether that this is, um, you know, I think just in general, the idea of living virtually um, or, you know, having an avatar, like what's that movie? It's Ready Player One. You know, when you see that and how people are going to adapt, you know, I think it's going to get, it's going to be a little scary. You know, I think there's, you know, anything te technologically from an older person's standpoint, I think always looks scary. Um, but for the people that are just living with it, maybe that's just their idea of normal. So, you know, we're going to have to adjust and I think just be open-minded, you know, but, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm neither positive nor negative about it. I'm kind of ambivalent, I think. You're in, in that. And, and that's a great point you made about the change because, like, for even, like, the like things that I consider positive change, like, you know, obviously gay marriage happened very quickly. That's a very, to me, it's a very positive change, you know. But 
it, sh- it like before it was talked about, it takes years for that things. Even like legalizing weed, you know, these things are happening so fast. Like I feel like we just talked about it and now I'm in Las Vegas. So it's like, boom, it just happened just like that. So those things are happening a lot faster, I think, because of the internet and things like that. So there's a, these positive things because you hear the outrage where before there were no voices. Yeah, if you, so if you go back to the 70s mm-hmm. and they did a lot of polls about if they thought like they thought they were going to legalize weed back then mm-hmm. because you basically had the 60s and free love and that's when drug culture kind of became at the, at the forefront. But here's the truth. Like you said, and maybe this is kind of speaking to, to your point. They did all those marches and all those protests. And guess what? It never stopped the war in Vietnam. You know, it never, things, you know, it didn't, you know, putting the, the flower in the, in the gun didn't stop the violence. You know, you know, you talk about how many leaders were, um, were, were assassinated. You talk about the, 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 the race riots. Um, you know, it was a, it was a brutal time. They thought this stuff was moving in one direction and it didn't. So yeah, I think you're, you do have a point in terms of we're able to kind of push ideas a little bit better. And I think people also, you know, you see with this, you know, that, that last election where people kind of lost faith in the system and they want to like almost just throw the apple cart over and see what kind of disruption they can put because they're, they want things to change and they're just sick of it. And the election, that's, that's a good point that you brought up is that like, but the Brexit in England and the election, um, a lot of that I think was a great lesson for like the younger people. Like, because like I said, they, they have to get out of the house to vote. They have to follow these steps. They have to register. They have to do those things with a computer in our hand. We're distracted. So we forget to do those things. So a population that an older population elected a leader, you know, that the youth do not relate to or want, but then they're going to learn next. That's almost how it goes though. Yeah. That's almost young are always the, the least percentage. It's generally how it goes. And yeah. obviously if you can galvanize a young vote, um, it changes that electorate and it makes kind of, I guess, different kinds of politicians able to, able, able to do well. But in general, the older the populace, the more, the higher rate they vote. That's kind of always been that way to be truthful. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And so, but with this, this election, do you think the next one that the younger population is going to run out and vote more? Well, I think, I think one of the benefits of, um, of having someone like Trump in office is that essentially politics has become pop culture mm-hmm. and uh people are paying attention to things that they you know you have people paying attention to like special elections <laughs> in like off years and people are you know they're they want to know what's called their state legislature and they're really concerned about the government you know uh, you know gerrymandering like people have, like become you know learned a lot more about the political process like you see with these uh the parkland kids have done just getting it you know not just protesting but actually getting involved in local elections local politics and people are they understand these things do matter um no matter which way you kind of stand politically i think a more engaged populace is a better populace i think people that actually understand that hey, you know the, the choices we make will affect our lives in some way and, and hopefully it's like if you're you know some people are lucky enough that it almost doesn't really matter who's president their lives are probably aren't going to change that much and so those people i think godspeed uh good for you but some people it will affect them and and for those you know go out do your thing uh be engaged civilly i think it's a it's a healthy society and we're lucky enough to be in a society where people can go out speak their voice um 
petition their local government, run for local office. Um, I love that. I love people because I'm not an activist, so I'm glad <laughs> there are people who are very active and, and going out and not just talking about something, but actually uh, going out to make active change, even if I disagree with it. You know what I'm saying? It's not about people just doing what I wanted to do. I think people should, whatever they believe in, uh, go out and, and stand for your beliefs. You know, I think that's beautiful. I completely agree, 100%. Everything you just said, yeah, definitely, man. So I did want to talk about the NBA with you because I, I nobody talks basketball with me. No, none of my friends. We are in Vegas. We have the Golden Knights that are going to make this amazing thing. You you follow? Do you follow hockey at all or no? Very little. Um, I don't dislike hockey, but I have this kind of theory about sports where if you really care about a sport and you really want to know every aspect. It is such a time-consuming process mm-hmm. that I think it's difficult to do that multiple times. So I don't really believe, unless it's your job, right, unless you're like Stephen A. Smith and all you do all day is watch sports and read about sports, you you know, I think Max, you can be kind of an expert in like two sports. There's no way someone's just like, I'm an expert in running and uh, pole vaulting and soccer. And no, you're not. There's not enough time in a day. No. Like, I don't even think I love basketball. I was the NBA, but I don't even have enough time to know about college because that's a whole. It's like I would, I'd have to have no job. I would just have to be re- watching basketball games and reading reports and l- looking at an- you know analysts and stuff. So, pretty much the NBA is my uh, area of expertise and, and main interest. That's awesome because I completely agree with you. The only things I pay attention to is boxing. I, I don't even know anything about MMA, and then and then the NBA. But college sports, no man, I can't even. I don't think I've watched a college game in 10 years because it's, it's too, I, I don't have time for it, like you said. So those are the two for me. I would, though. I, I would, time, too. Yeah. I, would watch the entire, I would watch the entire tournament because I think it's one of the most fun events out there. But I'm, I feel like every time it is, I'm so busy, I never have time. So maybe I'll, I'll be able to catch, catch the final four if I'm lucky. So I think so as well. So back to the, the NBA playoffs are going on right now. This is going to air on Memorial Day, the Doc Hoyle Memorial Day episode. We'll do it every year. And uh, so we got, uh, I want to talk about, because you sent out a tweet about LeBron James a little while ago. And I follow you and you, you do the basketball mm-hmm. talk and I love it. But to me, okay, can we say your opinion, he's the best player that's ever played the game? I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily fair. And I think we actually have to start looking at the debate a little differently. Mm. Um, because the problem is, what happens is you have someone who is not objective, right? You have someone like, even I was uh, listening to Bill Simmons' podcast, and he was talking about, you know, with his guy Joe House, where they're like, they're not even open to the discussion that anyone could ever be the best player besides Michael Jordan. So if, you, if your starting point is no one could ever be better than Jordan, then you actually can't even look at the lens to see if that's actually true or not. Um, but I think there's some things that are definitively clear. One, um, basically outside of scoring, LeBron James is better than just about everything. I think defense maybe gives a slight edge to Jordan, but LeBron at his peak could guard five positions. And he could never do that. Like, you couldn't say, hey, Michael, go guard uh, David Robinson. He could, LeBron could. I've seen LeBron guard Kyle Gasol and stop him. I've seen Le- LeBron James guard Derrick Rose and stop him. So um, that is peak. Um, but he does. He's a better rebounder. He's a better passer. He's a better three-point shooter. He's bigger. He's stronger. <laughs> Facts, right? These are all. No, um, I give you all that. Yes. Okay. 
Now, people will, the main thing, here's what people will say. They'll say, well, Michael Jordan went 6-0 and in the NBA Finals. Okay. Great statistic. I get it. But what we've never looked at is say, okay, is one championship the same as another championship? So, meaning, if, I, if one team beats a crappy team that makes it to the finals and another team beats an all-time team, are those the same? Should we count those the same? Right? Or should we count if LeBron gets, if he brings a crappy team to the finals and they win, or, you know, if, his, if you know, someone has a better team, or let's say a better coach, right? I mean, Michael Jordan always had Scotty Pippen next to him, and he had Phil Jackson coaching. You know, um, so that's the thing is these fat. Once you start bringing in all these factors, it makes it a lot more complex. Um, I would say LeBron is making a compelling argument. You know, could you say he's better? I don't know. It's just the circumstances are different. I, I would say of the three championships that LeBron has won, every single team he beat is definitively better than every single team that that Michael Jordan beat. It's not even close. Every single time LeBron James won a finals, he was facing three to four Hall of Famers on the other side. He beat the team that had the greatest record of all time. He, that, counts, that counts as like two championships to me. And they were down. They, they came back 3-1 to the first team in history to do that. And he was out of his mind. So, I mean, um, but it doesn't mean he's better than Michael Jordan. I, and that's the thing is I think Sometimes, you know, we hit, there has to be one. We can't just say, well, they're both great. Maybe it's 1A, 1B. And here's the thing about LeBron James. His career is not over. And what we can definitively say is, at this age, he's way better than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was not this good at 33. He was great. You know, he, was, he was amazing. But some of the stuff LeBron's doing is just, it doesn't even make sense. But, um, we'll, but we'll see. I think you have to wait for the career and you can see a body of work and put it against someone else's body of work. I do think history will show that he was the best player. I think LeBron James is the best player I've ever seen. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though, and this is going to sound like a negative thing, but LeBron James is uncoachable, and he is an ISO basketball player. He's, he's the whole offense. Like you said, he'll be the whole defense on many games, especially if you look at his team now, right? And him being uncoachable makes him the best player to me ever. I know how that sounds strange, because you can look at someone like Tim Duncan and be like, no, this guy was very coachable and he won all these titles and it was a team effort. But we're talking individual game, individual basketball. I actually, I actually disagree. You do? I think when LeBron was at his best was in Miami when he had the best coach ever, when he was coachable and when, when Eric Spolstra was really running the show. And that team was not an ISO team. Ball movement, hmm. um, a lot of cutting, um, transition i think that's what his team played the best i think he has resorted to be to being more iso heavy because of the personnel and because tyler is not a great coach and he's so smart that if he understands the game so well he kind of has become uncoachable but i think it actually works against him uh because what happens is he's they're so reliant on him that it's almost like atrophy right if you don't use a skill, you lose it. So because they're so reliant on him, when he's not there, people don't know what to do. And because he hasn't given them enough leeway to actually be self-sufficient. So I think it actually works. It's a thing where it's done out of necessity, but ultimately it ends up hurting the team. Because now they need him to do everything. It's like, if you, your mom would never taught you how to cook. 
and then she leaves the house and you got the ingredients, you don't know what you're doing. And I think, and so I think in many ways, despite of how quote unquote unselfish she is, he doesn't always empower people to be their best selves, which is why I think you see guys like Rodney Hood, like Jordan Clarkson, even when Isaiah Thomas was there and Jay Crowder and they weren't playing well because I think he put so much pressure on people that if you don't play well, he's going to give you the stink eye and, and you're not going to, you know, you just, they get so nervous to like not make daddy happy. You know, I think there's a lot of psychology buried in there and it's, and, but, you know, but the, the personnel is a factor. If it's, if his team was better, I think he would do less. You know, you saw that. But, you know, with Kyrie, if Kyrie says, hey, Kyrie, go get us a bucket, and he go do it. Yeah. He doesn't have anything else he can do that with. No, he, he currently doesn't. And I do agree with your theory when he was in Miami, but here's the one thing that I th- – this is my how I combat it, is that that first year when they lost to the Mavericks, LeBron shut off in the playoffs because that MVP that year was going to be Dwayne Wade because he took the ball, he ran it, right? So he shut off against the Mavericks in the playoffs, and he didn't give his best game. And that's why they lost that season. And so with all the disappointment of having a super team, just like when Durant went over and, and now the Warriors are kind of cheating, you know, which I, I don't want to say they're cheating, but I feel like they are because it, it's making the game very uncompetitive when you watch them play. But, and that's another thing when you're saying, like, say the Warriors win six in a row. Are anybody going to compare that with Durant, like to Jordan? Can you? Really? You know? But anyway, that's an, another topic. So with, uh, So when LeBron decided to let Spolstra coach. It took a year. They did win a couple titles, you know, but when he left, he went exactly back to who he was from 18 to, you know, 27. And I mean, the numbers and the stats and all that stuff, regardless, like I still think he is the best player that's ever played, but if he was coachable, I think he would have eight to nine rings on his finger. Yeah, but I, but I, I agree, but he hasn't had that many good coaches. No, he Mike Brown like garbage. Yeah. And I don't, and I, you know, and I, and I think I don't think Tyree's very good, Mm-mm. and I think Vlad, um, good X and O's guy, but was unable to galvanize the team from a personality and leadership standpoint. Um, so yeah, I don't think he's had great coaches, and maybe that's like I said, it's chicken the egg again. Is it are the coaches not good because they have LeBron, or just has LeBron not had good coaches? And the thing is, you look at Spolstra, he's still doing great. Yeah, he proved it. It doesn't yeah. matter who's on the team. So, yeah, so Spolstra is a, is a really great coach, but I think if you put a Doc Rivers with, you know, you know, I know a lot of people don't like Doc these days, but if you put him with a, you know, a Steve Kerr, you know, someone where he had to respect him, a, a Popovich, exactly. I think he would see better results. So I, I agree. And that's, and that's where I, that's what I was exactly going to go to, is that we're, he needs to leave this Cleveland squad. I think everybody, I hope most people agree, because watching them play, it's five against. It's five against one. You know he can do it to Toronto. It's, it's his own doing, though. It it's is. His own fault. I completely agree. Because I completely he's, agree. He's, he's the one that um, basically put pressure on the on the team to sign Tristan Thompson to that terrible contract to sign Jarrett Smith to that terrible contract to mm, sign Iman Shumpert to a terrible yeah. contract. Um, and he was the one that probably put pressure on them to make some of these trades, and and that's the reason why you. The player should not be the GM. Let the GM be the GM and decide the, the personnel that the coach coach. But he hasn't done it. He has, like I said, he's a victim of his own success because he was the one that essentially manufactured going back to Cleveland, manufactured the Kevin Love deal, um, and it worked. 
immediately. They basically, you know, they there's a good chance that if they, both those guys were healthy, maybe they would have won that first year, mm-hmm. and then they won the second year. So because he won doing it his way, he's been emboldened. And then once at that point, they're already in too deep. Once you kind of your roster's stuck, you've overpaid everyone. You can't do anything. And then fortunately, they built a roster. You know, as, as much as, as good as I think Kevin Love is, it makes it difficult to do anything in today's NBA when you don't have two-way players. You know, like, not to make Kevin Durant so dangerous. Like, he's a seven-foot shooting guard who can guard the rim. Yeah. <laughs> like, the dude is like, it's like, there's never been anyone like that in the history of the NBA. It doesn't make sense. And Kevin Love is like, well, we have to put him at the five, but that we don't actually have a real center. So we don't have, like, Cleveland literally has has zero people that can protect the rim. And they don't have a center. They don't have anyone on the team taller than six nine. That's crazy. You can't win like that. But that's you always can't at all. I agree. And that's always that's why it's like when people are saying let's let's trade LeBron is that because he he uh, he kills the big man like Bosch was ineffective. Love is I mean that guy used to be a rebounding oh, monster. Oh, you're 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 totally wrong about Bosch. Oh, I, Bosch okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Bosch. Bosch a in a sense, helped usher in the small ball era when he, what happened was when, um, what's his name got, he got hurt and it changed the way they played. This happened in this Indiana series and they came back and they put Bosch at the five and it changed everything. And then he started shooting threes. The thing about Bosch is Bosch was an all world defender, one of the best pick and roll defenders. And guess what Bosch could do? He could, he could protect the paint. He could protect the rim. So this guy, the guy that can shoot, protect the paint and play defense and work as a, and be able to take a backup role and excel in it. And that was the thing. Like people remember that shot that Ray Allen hit mm. in the corner who grabbed the rebound, Chris Bosch. All right. Like Chris Bosch was great. And he, and when the guys went right before he, he, he like left the league because of the, um, boycott issue, the dude was giving you 25 a night. Like, Chris Bosch never went anywhere as a player. That guy, but he was smart enough and humble enough to take a back seat and play a role. That worked. They won two titles. This is true. You're you're completely right. So, I mean, yeah, I I just felt like Bosch, um, I guess his offense effectiveness wasn't the same. With Love, I feel, I never felt he was a defender. You know, and I'm a Timberwolves fan, so he always frustrated me with defending. But his rebounding sensibility went out the went, went out the door. Like he's he's virtually there to, to hit a three on occasion. Now, with the trade, he, he still gave you about oh. still gave, gave you about ten rebounds a game. And when his and his when his minutes are up, he'll still get you like fifteen rebounds. He's a fine rebounder. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I just I think he's fine in that department. We got to keep in mind though. You have LeBron, who's an excellent rebounder for three, and also Tristan Thompson, who's an elite offensive rebounder. So. You have to remember, a lot of times rebounds are inflated depending on who else is on your team. So if you have, you're surrounded by people who aren't good at rebounding, that's going to help your numbers. And if you have people who don't, uh, a lot of times you have people who, if you're doing rebounding properly, you'll actually box out. And so you might not get the rebound, but you actually help your team rebound. And we kind of look at things as kind of flat number things, and it doesn't always tell the entire truth. Now, if you were to trade him, though, because this is with my theory on him affecting the big man, like I would want to see him go to the Spurs or New Orleans, right? Those are the two teams that I think that he can... Kevin Love? Oh, no, I'm talking about LeBron. Because I feel LeBron needs to leave Cleveland after this season. What teams would you think he should go to? If I was him, I would go... uh... I would go to Milwaukee. Really? Go play with Giannis. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think, it was, if I was LeBron, I would say, all right, historically, 
if I want to have a legacy, because what basically we're going to say is, Jordan has more rings, so that means he's better. So I need two more rings to get as many. So what I would do is say, I'm going to be the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to someone else's Magic Johnson. As my career sunsets, and I become not as dominant, and I'm not able to do everything, I need someone who's better than me. And I was looking at dude Giannis over there, I'm like, I can play next to that dude for the next five years while I'm getting a little worse and he's coming to his prime, you know, that's where I would go. Because um, all the other, you know, or probably for him, if he wants to win, probably what, go to Houston? I hope you know? not. But yeah. then, I hope not. You know, I, that I, would be, I, I think that would be a little weird considering you have hit three guys that are basically three point guards who are used to having the ball. Chris Paul's done a great job of, of being able to work off the ball. LeBron's never played off the ball in his life. I mean, James Harden's played off the ball. I mean, OKC, that's what he did. Yeah. He has to be the same ball handler. Um, he would talk about Philly. I think him and Ben Simmons' skill set is redundant. Um, basically, you know, Ben Simmons is a bigger LeBron who can't shoot. But they do the same thing almost. But I don't necessarily see that, even though the, the, the talent is there. In L.A., I, I just don't get it. I don't know why you go to the West Coast just to have to get smashed by the by the Warriors every year. And that means be in a much tougher conference. So I don't really get that either. Um, you know, I mean, San Antonio, yeah, that'd be cool, but who would he be playing with? Are they trading Kawhi? Is no, that's old the ass Al Gasol and Tony Parker? I mean, they're, what is their roster really? I, I don't, I, I really don't know. I don't think he actually, I think he has less options than we think in terms of a path to a championship. But ultimately, it's um, pretty interesting either way. You know, I think the, the league is as interesting as it's ever been. What's funny, the probably best place for him to go is Boston. Yeah. <laughs> but Kyrie would probably, you know, have a, have a shit fit. So. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think he can go to – see, that's another thing with L.A. I was like, what about Thomas? You know, like, are they going to – are they going to get along again or are they going to just trade out Thomas? But, see, you do like the league right now, even though the Warriors are just too dominant. Like, it, it affects me. Like, the playoffs are – It bummed me out last year when um, I think it was game two – LeBron and Kyrie both had 40 points, and they had the game in hand, and then like Kevin, uh, and then Kevin Durant just came up and just hit like a couple of shots and just ended it and just erased it. And it was like, so two guys, can, two of the best players in the league can literally have all-world performances, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it bummed me out, and it's kind of bummed me out how, they're, how dominant they are. Um, but I do think, you know, a lot of times these things go one way and we think it's going to be something and then you never know what can happen. You never know who's going to get injured. Not that I'm hoping anyone gets injured, but you just, oftentimes we, we think dynasties are going to last 10 years and they only last a couple of years. You know, look what happened with Kobe and Shaq. You know, look what happened with the, that trio in Oklahoma City. Look at, you know, so it's, there's definitely been potential dynasties where it didn't ultimately last, but I think there's more talent now than the league there ever has been. And it's, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I wish Kevin Durant wouldn't have, wouldn't have went to Golden State. I think it'd be a lot more fun. I think things would be a lot more unpredictable. There would be a lot more competition. But what are you going to do? This is the world we're living in. Um, I guess on one aspect, you can kind of just, you know, like I said, it's probably the best team ever. You know, I mean, I, I don't think historically any team would, ever, would be able to, to kind of keep up with these guys. Just the shooting, it's, it's too crazy. And the ball movement and the defense, it's, you know, I mean, or they're right there with, you know, the, 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 the 96 Bulls, 86 Celtics, you know, 83 Sixers, um, you know, some of the, you know, the great 
you know the you know the great Magic Magic Johnson teams. They're, I think they're right there or or better than any team you've ever seen in the NBA. I definitely think they're yeah probably the best team I've seen. I would love to see Dennis Rodman and Draymond Green play against each other. That'd be great. Flink, like, if you can oh, take like here's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of cool though. I think in the future you're probably going to be able to see some very realistic simulations, uh-huh. computer simulations, where we'll probably might even be able to see some stuff like that that's fairly applicable. You know, where they can kind of put everyone's uh, statistics and and fi- figure out actually their skill sets to see how how it works. You know. There's a lot of stuff like that online. I think it's actually pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. You know, but yeah, that would be amazing. That would, yes, excellent, man. So, Doc, man, I, I had you on the phone. I think I went over a little bit on you, man. But uh, I, like I said, I haven't got to talk to the NBA talk in a long time. So that was that was a blast, dude. But I want to make sure I promote everything that people get out there right now. You guys need to pick up this Bad Wolves record, Disobey. It's out now. You're gonna love it. Make sure you check out the video. It's directed by Wayne. Isham, dude. This is the guy that did Five Minutes Alone. Isom, yeah. sorry about that. This yeah, guy, he also did our new video. He also did our new video for Remember When, which has come out soon. And then, guys, everybody, make sure you go to iTunes right now. Subscribe to the X Man podcast. I listen to it weekly, Doc. You just did your first live show, by the way. Congrats on that. We're scared to do those. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, I was. It wasn't. It wasn't my favorite because of the setup. It's hard, um, bro. And maybe the intimacy of my show. But I think I'm going to do future is wait for the show to get a little bigger. And then maybe do like, a, you know, kind of like an open forum. We'll have three or four people on there. And we'll just kind of shoot the shit, make it a little more fun. As opposed to doing a regular X-Men type show, which my show is very intimate. Um, and I, I wondered if maybe the live nature of it kind of hindered the intimacy uh, a, a, a little bit. But um, yeah, but people check that out. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Doc Coyle. I'm around. Five-star reviews on iTunes. And I'll tell you this right now. If you're in Vegas, man, and you want to do a live show with us three, we will make that happen, and we'll do a swap cast. That's what people do these days. They do these things called swap casts, where we play the same show, I think, on both episodes or something. I don't know. Yeah, I like doing that. I like talking to people from the media. Like, I had, I just had Godless, the former. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Godless is awesome, um, dude. Yeah. Um, on my show, and um, I talk to industry people. I got a main man, Steve Joe, from uh, Prosthetic Records. We're going to do a, a podcast later over here. So, um, see, I, I like to, I don't just want to talk to musicians because, you know, we only talk about guitar strings and power tubes so much. Cool. So, everybody, again, X Man Podcast, subscribe today. Uh, Bad Wolves on tour till September 9th, guys. You will catch them in North America. It's going to be awesome. And make sure you pick up the new record, Disobey. Once again, Doc. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Of course, brother. Take care.
The Metal Sucks Podcast.
doesn't matter if it's punk, metal, or rock. Rockabilia is your one-stop shop for all band merch. They have over 500,000 items to choose from. Hard to find stuff that you can't get anywhere else with the largest selection of music merchandise available in the world. Doesn't matter if it's hats, shirts, autograph items, patches for your battle vest. Rockabilia will have you covered. And everything is officially licensed. Don't fall for the Chinese counterfeit band merch on Amazon or the targeted Facebook post promoting a bootleg product. If you support Rockabilia, you're supporting the artists. Been around since 1987 with 30 years of giving you the best memorabilia. And for special discounts, use the promo code PCJabberJaw. So for your punk, metal, and rock memorabilia, there's only one place to go, www.rockabilia.com. And we are back, everybody. First song you heard, both songs off the new record, Disobey by Bad Wolves, which is out right now. First song is Better the Devil, and the second song is the hit cover of Zombie. And with that, guys, uh, make sure you catch them on tour all the way to September 9th, and make sure you guys are subscribing, giving five-star reviews to the X-Man podcast and all the Jabberjaw shows, but always give us a five-star review first, correct, Brandon? Uh, yeah, hello. Cor- correct, Jocelyn? Five-star review correct. first? Correct. Okay. Five-star <laughs> reviews, always. Yeah. Forever. Urine soaked sandwich, it's coming your way if you don't. Mm. Yeah, we'll pee, we'll pee in all your stuff. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay, now I'll take a four-star review because of the pee threat. Anyways, the point is, <laughs> thank you guys every week for listening. We will talk to you guys next week. Metal Sucks Podcast over out the metal sucks podcast is signing off this is the jabberjaw podcast network